So in continuing these uh, many quick stories about Black History Month, I was doing some research to find another cool one I wanted to share, and I found one that I had never even heard of before, so I wanted to share that one with you now. It's from uh, Virginia. The title of it is Gabriel's Conspiracy. Chances are, if you're a person who is up on their Virginia history, you're probably pretty well aware of this. Um, anybody who's not up on it, lesser known story to those of us who are not in the know, so to speak. So what I decided to do was, instead of writing out my own and uh, sharing it, I thought that what I would do this time is kind of just make a few notes and um, read over it to you. It's not a very long story, but it's a very important story because the story is going to take place in the year 1800. Uh, the next big event prior to Gabriel's conspiracy as it relates to this period in history when it comes to um, black history, excuse me, is the um, more stricter Fugitive Slave Acts that are passed around 1793, to put this into context. So here we go. Gabriel is a slave that was born in the year 1776. He was born on Thomas Prosser's tobacco plantation in Enrico County, Virginia. He's about 10 years old. He and his brother Solomon begin to train as blacksmiths. We don't know much about Gabriel's parents, but we know that his father was probably a blacksmith um, because the skills that Gabriel has are getting passed from generation to generation at this time. Um, Gabriel is a very skilled blacksmith, which comes into our story later. And also as a child, Gabriel was taught how to read and write. He was unusually intelligent, as by some accounts. Also a very unusually large person for that period. By the age of 20, he's uh, 6 feet 2 or 6 feet 3-ish, if you will. Enormously strong from his years of smithing. Um, even older slaves saw him as a leader, so to speak. Um, by the time he's 22 years old, he is uh, taken over by a new master, Thomas Henry Prosser. Uh, Prosser will allow Gabriel to hire himself out uh, he'll share his skill with people with the blacksmithing, and it will allow him to have certain levels of freedom that most don't have. He will also be able to make some money on his own. Um, that was important to him. Gabriel will be hired out and meet fellow slaves, free blacks, white laborers, all of whom he is uh, sharing his free time with as well as his skill. Many of your free blacks still face overwhelming discrimination. But many managed to prosper in small businesses, um, especially in the area where we're talking about, specifically Richmond, Virginia. It's a threat to city officials. It's a threat to the whites that are in power at this time. You've got a lot of slaves, free blacks, working class whites, all kind of socializing together. And that's going to upset the apple cart, so to speak, when it comes to um, just how social the... Um, for lack of a better word, just how society is. So Gabriel will be influenced by a lot of people. He's influenced by the rhetoric of the American Revolution. There's an uprising in Haiti, uh, radical words of white artisans who were championing the working class, the free blacks, supporting people who were being successful. And then his own hatred of merchants who routinely cheat slaves out of money that they hired him for. 
uh, there's a quote uh, Solomon says about Gabriel in court one day. My brother Gabriel was the person who influenced me to join him and others in order that, as he said, we might conquer the white people and possess ourselves of their property. So let's fast forward to September 1799. Gabriel, Solomon, and a fellow slave named Jupiter stole a pig. They were caught by a white overseer, Absalom Johnson. Gabriel wrestled him to the ground and bit off most of his ear. In court, he was found guilty of maiming a white man, which is a capital offense back then. But Gabriel escaped execution through a loophole called Benefit of Clergy. That allowed him to choose public branding over execution. If he could recite a Bible verse, Gabriel would get out of execution and be branded. So the branding happens. He'll spend one month in jail, and it'll be the last in a long chain of offenses that pushes him toward open rebellion. He's inspired by the uprising in Haiti. Again, the American Revolution rhetoric rings true with him. Um, he begins to put together a plan. Here's where the, uh, the whole conspiracy, if you will, comes into play. So Gabriel decides it was time to act. He believed if slaves rose and fought for their own rights, the poor white people would join them. His plan would involve seizing the Capitol Square in Richmond, taking Governor James Monroe as a hostage in order to bargain with city authorities. According to later testimony, one of the conspirators was to go to the nation of Indians called the Catawbas to persuade them to join the Negroes to fight for the white people. Also, it was believed that French army that landed in the area of South Key was going to help them also. They had a banner, Death or Liberty. It was the battle cry down in Haiti. So Gabriel conveys his plan to his brother, Solomon. Ben, which is another one of the slaves that was uh, close by to him and very close to him, uh, the conspirators decide to do this. They're going to sack Richmond, basically. They are going to um, include Petersburg, Norfolk, Albemarle, the counties of Caroline and Louisa, a very broad stretch of land. Um, you might know this area as the area of Richmond, Petersburg, that whole part of Virginia. It was going to be one of the biggest slave uprisings in all of U.S. history. They amassed weapons. They began hammering out swords, scythes, molding bullets. By August of 1800, this army was now ready. Their plan, even more elaborate, would include taking Norfolk, Petersburg, by the men who lived there. They had managed to get a chain of people to communicate the plan out to a much wider audience. Gabriel announced they would move on the night of Saturday, August 30th. The lieutenants delivered the news to the outlying areas. A rumor of insurrection surfaced among Richmond Whites, who reported it to Governor James Monroe. On the night of August 30th, when the, night, when the uh, plan was going to take place, a torrential rain began. Described by James Callender, a person in jail for violating the law of sedition, it was called the most terrible thunderstorm that I ever witnessed in this state. A handful of men gathered at the appointed meeting spot, but it became clear the quickly rising water would make key roads and bridges impassable. Remember, many dirt roads back then, so even if you had a heavy rainstorm, you couldn't travel anywhere. As we go on further to August 31st, the very next day, Monroe hears about this. White patrols 
state militia, they began roaming the countryside, searching for rebels. Gabriel and others disappeared. They had to do a bit of a special court to try people who were um, getting together slave uprisings, for example. Um, the trials, after they capture people, began on September 11th. Gabriel and others are still at large. They had no idea how extensive their own insurrection actually had begun. One strategy that white authorities used was to offer a pardon to a handful of slaves who would give testimony to the conspirators. Some gave up, some did not. Others preferred just to go ahead and give testimony and seek out a court trial. October 6th, Gabriel was put on trial. Several witnesses came forward, but Gabriel refused to make a statement. He was sentenced to be executed the next day. He asked his sentence not be carried out until October 10th, so he could be executed along with the six other slaves. The court agreed, but on the 10th, they hanged slaves in three different locations. Gabriel was hanged alone on the town gallows. Our legacy of this story is simple. These trials will last two months. 26 slaves were executed by hanging. One more died by hanging while not in custody. At least 65 were tried. Of those not hanged, some were transported to other states. Some were found not guilty. Some were pardoned by law. Slaveholders had to be reimbursed for state for lost property. So what I want to get across to you is um, this story, even though it's not as uh, well-known a story as other slave uprisings, for example, um, one thing I want to keep in mind is that in the years to come, slave testimony when it comes to court trials and that kind of stuff, even though they're not really allowed to read, write, or even talk up in court, um, as you see people getting more and more pro-abolition, as you see them getting more freedom and, and sharing the idea of just what it's like to have to go out and have a trial and all this kind of stuff, it just began to really unravel the idea and I guess what I'm trying to say is all these slave uprisings no matter how far they got the Stoner Rebellion that happened before this others that will happen after this maybe the outcome didn't go the way things were planned but what I want to say is it's still important nonetheless to understand that people are willing to rise up and try and fight for their own freedom. There are numbers of slave uprisings that scatter throughout this period of American history, all of which are important. And I want to conclude by saying that the story Gabriel's conspiracy, while again not well known, still is very important because you can still win. Even though you don't win that battle, the war is still winnable. I hope you enjoyed this story. And our second installment of what we're doing to honor Black History Month.